The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Coming together is a good thing, and we should not forsake it, as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another means encouraging and speaking to one another. And listen, and so much more uh, as you see the day approaching. Book of, that's out of the book of Hebrews 10.25, and encourages us to come together and encourage, exhort, speak to one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. As you see the events in the world that are taking place, I can't help but feel like the day is approaching. Can't help but feel like, Lord, we may really be at the very end of time. How much more we need to be encouraging one another and be together and speaking of the things of the Lord. I mean, the Lord's always a priority. He should be. And his word should always be a priority. But how much more? I mean, think about it. If you had, if you really knew that you had just maybe a couple more weeks before the Lord returned, wouldn't it, wouldn't it kind of give you a sense of urgency and uh, focus on spiritual and eternal things? And that's the idea of that passage that as you see the day approaching, no man knows the exact day or the hour, but Jesus did say that you can, you can see the the season based on its signs, and so we know that we're drawing near. That day just seems to be drawing near, and how much we should be focused on the things of the Lord. We're, we're working our way through, verse by verse, Revelation, the book of Revelation, and we're in this passage, just again by review, we are in this, these, the passages that are talking about what we believe are future events. The book of Revelation has several portions, three different sections, and we're in this section that we believe is forecasting future things, things yet to come. And one of the things that we've, we've seen is that at the end of time, and based on some other prophecies in the book of Daniel, that we believe there will be this seven-year period that will come at the end of the days. Some call it the tribulation. Reference also is the great tribulation. It'll be a time of... of God beginning to pour out wrath and judgment upon the earth for the rebellious ways of men. And also, not just a time of judgment, but also a time of redeeming. Jesus coming and reclaiming the earth. We're living in this time where, I mean, clearly, Jesus is not ruling the earth. With all that we see that's going on, all that, that God is allowing in the earth, this is not the way it will look when Jesus rules the earth. But he is waiting. He is this time of the church while the gospel goes out and goes out to the hearts of those that will hear and respond. And God allows the mystery of lawlessness to be at work, but there's coming a time when that lawlessness will be really pronounced and God will, beginning to th- will, will begin to pour out judgment, but also he will be redeeming all and uh, concluding all at the end of the tribulation. Some of those judgments have been revealed to us symbolically through the passages uh, known as the seven seals, the scroll that had seven seals, and with each opening of the seal, certain judgments were poured out upon the earth. The seventh seal actually introduced a whole new set of judgments known as the seven trumpets, And we have been looking at each and every trumpet blast. And now the seventh trumpet is also going to introduce the final seven judgments, known as the seven bowl judgments or vials, these things that are poured out on the earth. And we are in that 
kind of an interlude here. These chapters that we're looking at now, uh, the process of judgment takes a break and John sees visions of things that are happening uh, during this time. Even he sees some before, during, and even the end. We're in a, something of an interlude. We're in between that, that seventh trumpet that has been blown and then the beginning of the seven bowls, which will be the last of the judgments. But during this, it's as if uh, there's a pause and God is now kind of expanding our vision, giving us a little broader understanding of other things that are going on in the earth, other things that will be happening, and then also uh, a, a glimpse of how things will end. And tonight, this is we're in this, this interlude, and this actually is still for a couple more chapters uh, until we see the, the kind of where God will pick up again the, the, the bold judgments. Tonight, we'll, we, we will be looking at what is going to become of the 144,000. Now, you may remember back in chapter 5, we were introduced to the 144,000, uh, excuse me, introduced in Revelation 7. We, they were, these are uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that have been sealed by God. They have been identified. These are, these are Jewish converts during the time of tribulation. The Bible definitely speaks about a time when Israel is going to come back to faith in God through embracing Jesus Christ. Today, for the most part as a nation... Israel and most of the Jewish people reject Jesus as their Messiah. But there's coming a day, and we believe in this time of tribulation, where God is going to really be regathering to Christ Jewish converts. So there's going to be many getting saved. It won't be just Jews getting saved. There will be Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles as well. There will be a great harvest of souls during this time. But it will also be a very difficult time. But there is 144,000 that are specifically earmarked out by God, those amongst the Jewish converts that seem to have either a special ministry or maybe they are simply the first fruits. They're, they're kind of just marked as the first ones that God brings as the Jewish nation returns. There's a few different views, but clearly they are identified several times in the book of Revelation as uh, a special group of, of first fruit converts out of the tribe of Israel. And here tonight, what we're going to see is their end, how, how it ends for them. And what I want to look at tonight, and, and we'll take a look, we'll read through the text, just five verses tonight. And then I'd like to come back and identify some of the things that we see in this 144,000. This 144,000, these are individuals that are going to be living through a very difficult time, a seven-year tribulation. They're going to come to faith in Christ. God's going to be with them. God's going to protect them. God's going to preserve them. But still, they are going to live through difficult times. But through this, you'll see some of the qualities, the spiritual qualities that were in their lives that gave them the grace to walk through those times. And I think it's relevant for us tonight. I feel like we're living in difficult times. Now, I'll trade these times for the tribulation. The Bible says, Jesus said, that's going to be a time like never before or never again. So we can't really compare what we consider difficult times to what those times will be. They will be far worse. But that doesn't remove the fact that we are living in difficult times. 
And Paul said that, that the days are evil, that we need to be wise and, and we need to be sober-minded and making the most use of the time. So I think that we find ourselves living in a time where evil seems to be kind of on the march. And we're living in a time in our culture where secularism is kind of crowding out some of our religious uh, foundations and freedoms. So as Christians today, we live in a difficult season And what are some of the things that we will need in our hearts to survive it? If these 144,000 can make it through difficult time, faithfully to the end, so certainly we can live in this time. Because God has called us to live in this time. You're not here by accident. You're not, you know, this isn't just some random thing that happened and you happen to live in this generation. The Bible says that God has pre-designed every generation, that you have been selected by God to be at this place at this time for such a time as this. So you are uniquely qualified to be here because God has destined you to be here and he wants to be glorified in your life. He doesn't he hasn't put you here so that you can be overrun and overwhelmed. He's put you here because he has a a plan to be glorified in your life. And this was the best season for you to be here. Your your hope and opportunity for, for living for the Lord is best suited for today. And this is what we should, this is the hope that we should have in our hearts. This is the faith that we should have in our hearts. I know I'm kind of, it's a long introduction, but it's just kind of, it's, it's really stirring in me a little bit tonight. I, you know, rather than just this idea of, of just getting through. I want you to realize that God hasn't called you to just get through. God has called you to to glorify himself through your life at this time, that you would do exploits for the Lord, that he would be glorified in and through the church and each of us individually. Let's look at verses 1 through 5, if you'll follow with me, and then we'll take a look at some of the things that that seemed to be evident in the heart of these 144,000. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the living creatures, the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. A beautiful testimony of what awaits in victory for the 144,000. Now again, this is all future. These 144,000 have not even appeared yet. This time of tribulation is not yet even started. But this is what the Lord knows is coming, and this is what God is giving John vision of. And this is the way the Lord often works. He, he speaks about things in the future as if they've already happened. Because when God makes promise, when God makes a plan, it will be accomplished. 
If you read in the book of Ephesians, it talks about our spiritual condition. And it says we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It doesn't say someday you'll be seated. It says you are seated. And God speaks of where we are spiritually as if it has already occurred. Now, there's coming a day when not only spiritually, but physically, we will be seated with Jesus. We will be joined with him. But the Bible speaks of things even yet to come as though they already are. And some things spiritually have already taken place because God has accomplished it. This is the case here. I believe John is getting a vision of a future victory that is coming for the Lamb and for the 144,000. Victory is promised throughout the scriptures. And this is a picture of Christ standing in victory at the time of his return. Mount Zion is a reference to Jerusalem. The ancient name for the hills that make up Jerusalem is the place where the Messiah gathers his redeemed and reigns over the earth. Now, this is prophesied in many places, that Christ will come and set up his kingdom from Jerusalem. And often Jerusalem is referred to as Mount Zion. There is also what is known as a heavenly Mount Zion, but also a literal Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where Christ will reign. And I believe that this victory is not just for the 144,000, but this is a promise. There is a promise of victory for all of us. Let me read to you out of, you don't need to turn, but let me read you Romans 8:37. Paul talking about some of the challenges that we face in this life. And yet he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has made us more than conquerors. The Apostle Paul, he knew difficult times personally, but he would declare in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Nothing can stop his plan for my life. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can stop the eternal hope that I have. From coming to pass. And that is a hope of victory. You are not on a losing team. Christianity is not the weak underdog. Christ is the victor. Christ is reigning and waiting. He is seated at the right hand, waiting for the Lord to make his enemies his footstool. He will return and he will establish his kingdom in the earth. Yes, he is allowing. Evil, And it would seem at times that sometimes good seems overwhelmed by evil. But it is just a deception. The truth is that Christ is, re- is reigning in the heart of his people and that Christ will reign once and for all upon the earth. And the enemies of good will be defeated. Satan, demons, and all those who have rebelled against the Lord. We are promised victory. This is something that God is giving these 144,000 in vision from John. Imagine the encouragement when this time arrives and those that know they are a part of this number, they will see this is our hope. We will be victorious. We can endure this difficulty knowing what God has for us. God will bring us through. Listen, he even has them marked out. It says that they had their, his father's name written on their foreheads. 
Lest you worry that somehow God might forget you or that somehow you might get lost in the shuffle. Oh, you know, God's so busy. There's so many things going on. I don't know if he can keep track of me and my circumstance. God puts his mark on those that belong to him. The 144,000 have been sealed and, and have the name of God written upon them. A couple of passages that would encourage you. Psalm 87, 5. And of Zion it will be said, This one and, the, and that one were born in her. And the Most High Himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the peoples. This one was born there. God knows right down to the individual. Concerning Zion, concerning the heavenly kingdom, concerning the future kingdom, this one, you, you were born there. You are no longer a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of God's future kingdom and God's heavenly kingdom today. And he knows and marks out each and every one of us. Second Timothy 2.19 says this, The solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. That is a solid foundation. God knows you. He knows who belong to him. You are not forgotten. You have not been lost in the shuffle. You have not been lost in the, 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 the confusion. Ever lost one of your little ones at, you know, an amusement park? Panic, you know. Ever been lost at an amusement park? Panic. God, God has a good homing device. God's got you marked. He knows each and every one of us. And he keeps us. And he's able to keep us, listen, even through difficult times. How is it that these 144,000 have survived the ordeal of the tribulation and are there with Jesus in the end? Because God has been with them. Just like Noah, just like Lot, Peter would tell us that God knows how to deliver the godly and how to preserve his people. Paul would say this to Timothy, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless... I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Are you confident tonight that God is able to keep those things that you would commit to him? Are you assured tonight that your faith in him is, is secure and that he is going to be able to bring you through? Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Listen, he can get you home. He can bring you through. He's not lost you. He knows who you are. That song by Tommy Walker, he knows my name. What a beautiful picture of God's intimate relationship and our hope. The first theme that I see in the heart here of these believers, these 144,000, is that they have hope. Do you have hope tonight? Your hope must be in the Lord. Your hope must be on, in the Lord. You must look for the city whose builder and maker is God. Your hope must not be in this world or in finance or in job or in government, but in the Lord. Put your hope in Him. And I believe 
you will make it because God has promised. The second thing that I see in this text is worship. Notice there in verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Notice that John is there seeing this vision of them on Mount Zion, but he hears from heaven the voice and and the sounds of worship and a song that is being Initiated in heaven comes and the 144,000, it's their song. It's a new song, peculiar to them and unique to what God has brought them through. We don't know, we're not revealed the lyrics here, but they begin to sing this song. It is, the, it is a song from their heart, but it is a song that transcends into heaven. And I want you to think about worship that way tonight. You know, we don't just, sometimes I think we come and, and the music and the singing, you know, we, we consider it just kind of the, the warm-up to the message, you know, or just kind of the it's, it's the, it's it's the, hey, put down your coffee, come on inside now, time to get started uh, time. And we, we don't realize that when worship that is sung from the heart, in spirit and in truth, that it is actually offered in heaven. We're not just singing some, a few songs here in this building. I believe that we are offering something that rises and transcends into the very presence of the Lord. Certainly the Bible teaches that. Not only our prayers, but our worship rises in the presence of the Lord. And how important it is that worship be in the heart of God's faithful. They join this heavenly chorus. They are worshiping in spirit and in truth. And they sing a new song. It's a unique song declaring the unique work and relationship that they have with the Lord. And I think oftentimes there are certain songs that just our hearts just seem to line up with, don't, aren't there? There are some songs that the lyrics just like, oh man, that is, that is exactly where I'm at. You know, not every song hits us that way, but... That's why we sing different songs. That's why we we introduce new songs from time to time. Not just always new songs, because then you you never know what you're singing. We want you to learn the song so that you can sing it, so that your heart can engage. But the whole idea is that this singing is is an expression of something that God has done in your life. It's it's a way to connect you with Him. Now, this is not the only time we see a new song being sung. You may remember... Earlier in chapter 5, the 24 elders representing the church, they also sang a new song, and that was a unique song for them. And they sang there as the Lamb came and who was worthy to open the scroll. You may remember the Bible talking about that new song, Worthy is the Lamb. So God has a song for each heart that we can sing that is a unique expression of us to Him. And how important it is that we learn to worship God and, uh, and learn to bring song to the heart. The book of Psalms, just by itself, and you can, this would be a, just a, a worthy study of your own. Seventy-one times, just in the book of Psalms, seventy-one times we are exhorted to sing to the Lord. 
Now, there are other exhortations. Praise him, clap, dance, shout. But just singing 71 times. I would say that music and singing as an expression of worship to God is really a very biblical idea. This is not something that, you know, we've kind of figured out. It's kind of a good way to get people, you know, warmed up before the, the message. It, it it's kind of gets people clapping and gets them, you know. No, it, it's a biblical concept that God would call us to a place of worship. And there is something healthy about a heart that knows how and is willing to express its worship to the Lord. And listen, there's something wrong with a heart that can't worship God. That worship is somehow kind of a nuisance or a bother. And I can't really, I'm not really into it. Well, let me just say that in heaven, they are into it. And I have a feeling that you're going to get into it. (laughs) There's going to come a day when you'll be caught up in it. And your heart will join. But I encourage you today, even now, aren't there songs that speak to your heart? Aren't there songs that have spoken to the heart of the church for hundreds of years? It is well with my soul. A song talking about the the peace that I have with God, even in the midst of difficult times. It is well with my soul. One most recent, one of the more recent hymns that we sing or choruses that we sing, How Great Is Our God. You know, just this basking in His greatness. Darkness tries to hide. Just this idea of how awesome He is and our hearts just rise to say, Lord, You are great. But shout to the Lord. You know that verse, my Jesus, my Savior, talking, and then the chorus, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. I mean, it just explodes, and you, man, you, uh, yeah, shout. God, He is all these things. He is awesome. Let the whole earth declare His glory. And there's a ride, we sing it, but it rises like a shout from the heart. This is the kind of thing that's going on here in this place. They've come through this tribulation and they've come through victoriously and the promises have come to pass and heaven starts up the harps, you know. Oh, can you, can you, I mean, just sometimes when we get the amps going, I feel, oh man, we're going to worship tonight. Just, just think when those harps in heaven start to sound and the voice that thunders like the many waters begins to pronounce and declare and the, the voices of heaven begin to sing this new song. Oh, it's going to be a worship service for sure. Oh, that our hearts would see it and embrace it even today. Thirdly, I see that this is a group that are set apart for the Lord. Set apart. Look at just the first half of verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, it may be that these are, in fact, those that are single and unmarried and have completely set themselves to serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul was such, and he even encouraged those that would be called that way. He said, not everyone is called like this, but for those that, that are, you know, feel called, that they just want to be single and serve the Lord, that's a good thing. Jesus, of course, he was single and served his ministry. But, 
Not all are called to that, and it it may be that these 144,000 are indeed, uh, when it says virgins, it means that they are unmarried and simply committed to, to what God is doing in their life during this season. And perhaps they're ministers, perhaps they are men that are being used by the Lord in this time. No, most, doubt, most, most surely they will be. But it may be that really this whole idea of them being virgins is really just talking about their purity. Because the Bible does at times refer to purity as those that are virgins. For example, and uh, you don't need to turn, but Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, talking about the church in Corinth, he said, I am jealous for you. With godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul was talking about the church and, and wanting, I'm, my heart is jealous. I don't want you to be distracted with anything other than your love for the Lord. I want to present you as a virgin on that wedding day, as a bride, unspotted and without blemish. And yet he uses this language that you would be a virgin unto Christ. This is, not a, that they, this is not that they would all be literal virgins, but rather spiritually pure and set apart. So it may be either way. There are some that, that see this either way, and I, I don't think it's that important because in either way, these are individuals that have set themselves apart for God. There is a moral purity Clearly, they are not defiled with women. These are not those that are involved in immoral activity. These are individuals that have set their heart with singleness of purpose to serve the Lord. Now, I do, I do need to simply tell you that, you know, we live in a time, and this is not news, but we live in a time where sexual immorality is rampant. We live in a culture that simply invites it at every opportunity, that basically taunts us with it 24-7. This whole idea of living morally pure has almost become something old-fashioned. And really? And almost, you know, counter-culture. But it is the call of God to those that would follow him. That, that we would live our lives morally pure unto the Lord. The Bible is so clear on this, church. Don't let your senses be desensitized. Don't let the culture persuade you that, uh, oh, it's okay, I'm not as bad as so many. If you begin to measure your, your commitment and your own walk with you know, the way it is around you and somehow feel that you're doing well, it's not the, the, the right place to measure your conduct. You must compare yourself with Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And I'm not saying this is easy in our culture, but I am saying that God calls us to this. Ephesians 5.3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, listen, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. This is an area of great attack in the church. This is an area that attacks and assaults marriages. This is an area that attacks even spiritual leadership. You know some of the more public stories. 
For each public story, there are dozens of stories you don't know about, that we don't know about. But from time to time, we hear of them, we see them, and we see that immorality in the church is something that we must contend, we must contend for purity. We must resist these things. Paul said that it wouldn't even be named among you as is fitting for saints. There is a call to moral purity, and that's part of being set apart for the Lord. And there's also just a call to be separate. You are not called to be like the world. And this whole idea that somehow I can maybe ride the fence. You know, I can be a Christian and I want a little of that in the mix, but I also have my worldly life and the things that I'm, you know, enjoying. And really, I just kind of want to straddle and have the best of both. This is not the case of the 144,000. And I can assure you, had it been the case, they would not have arrived victoriously on this day. They would have compromised. They would have not come to this place of victory. But listen, God calls you to be separate. I want you to hold your place there and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Back to your left, quite a ways. Well, not too far. Still in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. A separation, an understanding that that your life is called to something different than what you see going on in the world and in the life of unbelievers and who you were before you came to faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Of course, this is a passage we often use in talking about Marriage, those that would look to be married with one a believer and one an unbeliever. The Bible would say that that would be unequally yoked, not wise. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There is a call to be separate. There is a call to be different. There is a call to holiness in Christ. Now, you can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this by sheer willpower. But you do have to acknowledge that this is what God has called you to. And I believe that as you love the Lord more and more, the passion that you have for him will begin to replace the passion that you have for other things. You will replace those things with your love and relationship with Christ. And it's out of that relationship 
out of that grace, out of that love that he shows you, out of that closeness, that begins to call you out and preserve you in the midst of an, even, uh, an evil generation. Please, back with me in Romans 14. I was taking my son recently, uh, yesterday. My youngest son is getting ready. He's a senior in high school, getting ready to graduate. And so we were... Um, we took a drive down to the Calvary Chapel Bible College at Marietta. We've been looking at some different schools, and we've been praying and talking. Tony and I have been talking with him, and we've still got a little more investigation to do. But I wanted him to go down and see the campus and walk around and consider it. So we were driving. Anyway, we, we got there, and um, we, put, we didn't have an appointment or anything. We didn't call ahead, you know. Typical, the way I operate, unfortunately. <laughs> this, well, we'll just show up and see what happens. Uh, so anyway, we got there, and there's a security uh, guard. And uh, so, you know, we, we drive up, and he comes out. Can I help you? I said, well, yeah, we just um, we wanted to just kind of look around the campus. I have uh, my son here. He's a prospective student. And we were hoping we'd just get an opportunity. Maybe somebody could just walk us through and show us the place. He wanted to, he wanted to come down and see it. And I said, well, you know what? They're all at lunch. Um, but you know what? They'll be back in about 20 minutes. Why don't you just come on in, park, just, just walk around a little bit, check it out, and then head over to their office in about 20 minutes, and they'll be happy to show you. You know, just real friendly, nice spirit. So in we came. And as we drove past, Scotty said, Christians are just the best. <laughs> he says, you know... Anywhere else, they'd say, get lost. You can't come in now. You don't have an appointment. Get, you know, we're not going to see you. And, you know, I just, I, I was, he said what I was feeling in my heart, too. Lord, this, it's so nice to, to fellowship with, with Christians, you know. But it was good to see his heart just recognizing, you know, Christians are different. We should be. We're called to be. Now, you know, you don't have to be a Christian just to be courteous and friendly. And I, I don't mean that, but I, I think that certainly as Christians, we should be. And there's just a, a, a separate way that we would conduct ourselves. And that it would be evident that we're a child of God. That we're a child of God and a believer in Jesus Christ. Fourthly, a quality that I see amongst the 144,000 is that they are followers of Jesus. Look at the last half of verse 4. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. They followed Jesus wherever he goes. These are those that have come to a life of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, do the things that I have taught. Follow me. Follow my example. Follow my teachings. Set your heart to be like Jesus. These are individuals who have made following Jesus the priority. Not one of the priorities, the priority. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. There is something in their heart that would say, God, you lead, I will follow. Wherever you call me, wherever you send me, whatever you ask me to do, my heart is yours. 
My loyalty is to you and you alone. Jesus would require this even in his time teaching his disciples. Didn't he say some pretty hard things for those that were following him and wanting to follow him? He would say things like this, that, you know, if to be my disciple, you're going to have to hate even your father and mother and brothers and sisters. And of course, he didn't mean that, they, that they, we would literally hate our family. But the point was, by, in contrast, your love and devotion to me have to be the strongest of all loves and devotions in your heart. There can be no comp- competition in the heart where Jesus is Lord. These are the ones that followed the Lamb wherever he went because their hearts loved him first more than anything in the world, more than any other relationship, more than any other friendship, more than any other opportunities, more than any other uh, desires. Jesus was first. He would also say that those that would like to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me, letting them know that there will be sacrifice. Following the Lamb wherever he goes is not a skipping, you know, kind of easy time. There are some rough ground. <laughs> oh, sure, I'll follow him. He's going to Disneyland. <laughs> no, there are some things and places that God would call us to that are difficult. Jesus would say, pick up your cross. Jesus would have this kind of talk with Peter. You probably remember it. I'm going to ask you again to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 21. Gospel of John, chapter 21. Jesus, after being resurrected, he comes back and begins to restore Peter. You remember Peter had denied Jesus, and Jesus took some time specifically with Peter to kind of reestablish Peter's heart and his love for him and his calling to ministry. Chapter 21 and verse 15, So when they had eaten bread, breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, to him, yes. he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Look at verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus restores Peter in his relationship of love and service. But he also reminds Peter that to follow me will require sacrifice. When you were younger, you, did, you, you, you went where you wanted. You, you lived your, your own way. But there's coming a time in your future ministry and following me that 
You're going to have to go to a place that you won't want to go. But it's the place that I will be calling you to go. And this, I think, is the heart that Peter had to come to. We know that Peter went on. History tells us that he was crucified for his faith. But not wanting to be crucified like Jesus, he was crucified upside down. And so many of these, most of the disciples and many of the early Christians would ultimately be martyred for their faith. And these, back to Revelation 14, these that are in victory there with the Lamb, these are those who have followed the Lamb wherever He goes. And I believe that God would call us to be followers of Jesus. They are redeemed That means purchased by the blood of Jesus. They they understood that they are no longer their own property, but they were God's possession. They were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. This firstfruits, as I mentioned earlier, it may be that they were some of the first converts of the Jewish nation coming to Christ, and in in a sense they were the the firstfruits. But firstfruits also signifies they, they were those that were offered to the Lord. They belonged to God. When, when harvest came in, you took the first fruits and that belonged to God. And so these were those that followed the Lamb because they belonged to the Lamb. They were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so is true for us that know Jesus. Finally, and we'll close here tonight in verse 5. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. These are individuals who walked in truth. That's my fifth point on the outline tonight. We need to be people of truth. No deceit. Speaking the truth in love. Being honest in our heart before God and before men. Being honest in our doctrine, preaching and teaching God's word truthfully. Accurately handling the word of truth. Not rationalizing not compromising, not trying to, you know, blend with the culture in some way accommodating, but rather they held to the truth of God. No deceit was found in their mouth. They are without fault before the throne of God. Of course, this does not mean that they, they stood in their own perfection, but as being cleansed by the Lamb, they stood without fault through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so is the call to us tonight that we would be men and women that are truthful, that our words would be true, that our heart would be honest with one another and with the Lord. Where are you tonight? Not not where would you tell me kind of in a, in a rationalizing, well, I'm doing, you know, pretty, where are you really? <laughs> Let there be no deceit found in our mouth. Let's be honest with the Lord. By the way, he already knows. And God is looking for hearts that are true. God's looking for testimony that is true. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Just in my closing thought here tonight, as I mentioned to you, I'm starting to work my son through this next step in his life and course you know he's my youngest so i'm i'm a little older now than when we did this you know uh, quite a few years ago with jenny almost 10 years ago and my oldest was getting ready to take this step 
So my life has certainly changed in the last 10 years, um, ministry-wise and in other ways, business-wise, financially-wise. So we have some different challenges with Scotty. But I've also, my own heart has, I think, changed. I, I'm, I'm more and more, as I'm getting older, and by the way, I'm getting older. <laughs> and as things are changing, kind of in, in our world, and I'm beginning more and more to really see the priority of serving the Lord with all your heart. And as I prepare my son as best I can to try and sow God's wisdom into his heart and share things with him to help him, you know, to help guide him and make good decisions about his future, of course I, I want him to, to develop uh, skills that he will be able to provide for himself and for his future family and those things that he desires. But I don't want that to be at the expense of, of the Lord and serving him and making ministry a priority in his life. And so I'm just beginning to try and, and speak to him about these things. And I don't know, I think this passage tonight speaks to that. We are going to, we are going to arrive at that day. I, I think it's near, but whether it's near in our lifetime or our lifetime, our time before the Lord is, is, is a sure destiny. And I want to encourage you tonight to take a look at this 144,000. Consider those things that, were, you know, that kind of brought them to that place of victory and rejoicing and install those qualities in your heart. Allow the Lord to put those things in you that you would begin to live for the Lord as if he is returning, because he is. And I'm kind of beginning to see the world just, you know, it's the things that I maybe thought were important 10, 15 years ago, it's not that they're not important, but they're not as important as the things of the Lord. And I'm encouraging my son, listen, live for the Lord. Those are the things that last forever. It doesn't, it's not an excuse to be lazy or to, you know, not be diligent and not to be uh, faithful and all the things that God would give you. But don't pursue anything that would somehow captivate you with the world and lessen your commitment to live for the Lord. Put him first. Live for him. Because there's coming a day when you're going to be with him and you're going to rule and reign with Christ and you're going to stand before him and God's going to get you there. You're going to come through. You're going to be victorious. He's got, a, he's got his mark on you and he's put his word in your heart and his promises are sure. And you're going to be there and live today with that in view. Let's pray. Father, I do ask tonight that you would install in our hearts just that that priority of serving you. I pray tonight, God, that you would, Lord, in some cases, maybe maybe stir us a little, those that need it, those that are serving you, Lord, that they would be encouraged to keep on, don't grow weary in well-doing. But Lord, that these these things that are coming to pass, these things that are in your word, they are sure heaven and earth will pass away, but not one 
a little bit of your word shall go unfulfilled. So we trust you tonight and we look to you tonight. And we ask that you would encourage us, Lord, that just as those 144,000 will surely stand with you in victory, so we will stand with you. And we will sing a new song and we will join heaven's host worshiping you for the victory that we have in Christ. Lord, as our hearts are bowed in prayer, I do want to give invitation tonight. If there are any here that need to come to the Lord, maybe for the first time or you need to come back to the Lord, the Lord has spoken to your heart tonight about priority and where you are and where you're living and you realize I'm... I'm far from God and need to come and rededicate myself to him completely. If that's your heart tonight, I would love to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you, if you're here tonight and you want to come to the Lord, invite Jesus into your life, have your sins forgiven, maybe for the first time, or you need to come back to the Lord and rededicate yourself to him, If that's you tonight, would you raise your hand where I can see you so I can pray for you? Anybody here tonight? Bless you. Am I right there? Anyone else? Any others? You need to come to the Lord or come back to him? Lord, I do pray for this heart that has responded tonight in truth. And even as we spoke tonight, Lord, that's one of the qualities that I believe you are producing in the heart of your people, truth. No deceit found in our mouth, no deceit in our heart, no deceiving ourselves. Lord, I pray for this one individual who has responded honestly to you, that you would meet them with your grace, that you would cleanse them, with the blood of Jesus from all sin and from all unrighteousness, that they would know for sure that your mark is upon them, that you know their name, and that they belong to you. They are redeemed, purchased by the blood of Jesus, forgiven and cleansed, and that your spirit is within them, sealing them for that eternal time that you have promised. Bless them and encourage them tonight, Lord. And for all of us, I pray that we would become those who are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, that we would not be so enamored with this life and this world, that we would not be so overwhelmed or distracted or discouraged with circumstance, but, God, that we would be reminded tonight of our eternal hope that we have in you and the destiny that awaits us. Call us out, Lord. Help us to live separate lives pure unto you, lives filled with worship, lives that are committed to follow you wherever you would lead, and, Lord, lives that live in truth and honesty. We ask these things in Jesus' name.